Welcome to the Dusty Jobs Podcast from Imperial Systems. Industry knowledge to make your job easier and safer. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Dusty Jobs Podcast. Thanks for listening um, again. And uh, today we have joining us Bob Dayringer from Retired My OSHA. Did I say your last name right, Bob? Yes. Yep. All right. All right. So he has been a senior industrial hygienist for, oh man, how many years did you have in the industry, Bob? Uh, 39 and a half years. Wow. I was wow. with my so, for 39 and a half. I was a CIH for 30 some years. Now what's a CIH? I'm not familiar with that, sir. A CIH is certified industrial hygienist. It Gotcha. The professional way of, of saying that you, uh, you know what you're doing. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, so those are some initials that give you a little bit of credibility. Yeah, it's uh, the American Board of Industrial Hygiene uh, sponsors a test that you, a two-part test that you take to become certified. Gotcha. Gotcha. It's a fairly rigorous test. So I'm sure over the the time you were doing that... uh, Man, probably the industry changed so much during that time frame. I, I imagine you saw innovations and regulations and a lot of stuff change, huh? Uh, quite, quite a lot of change, yes, sir, over those, over those years. Uh, I've said that industrial hygiene isn't quite as exciting now as it used to be because uh, standards move along. Uh, they uh-huh. find out things are worse for you, for you than they originally thought, so they lower exposure limits. And when they lower exposure limits, industry tends to move away from those issues, from those things, and the workplace uh-huh. gets a little safer. And it's not quite as exciting when you go into the industries because some of the bad things that were there no longer exist. So, so it's not as exciting in a good way. Things are things are starting just to be safer. Exactly, exciting is not always a good thing. Yeah, yeah. So it's still very interesting and intriguing, but uh, but there's no one probably getting as sick as they used to, or as injured as they used to. It makes the days fun when you constantly get a chance to learn new things, to see new things. Yeah, yeah. I can imagine. I can imagine. So, okay. So we kind of talked a little bit about what uh, an industrial hygienist is, but. I mean, it, it, we kind of gave a broad definition. What did you say? Would this be something someone would go to college for? Or is this kind of, how did you find your way into it? And and what does it actually mean in day I found my way into it by luck, actually. I was uh, just out of college uh, with a degree in biology and chemistry, working as a chemist in a uh, chemical manufacturing facility. And uh, mm-hmm. it became my job to escort the Myosha guys through the plant when they when they came to visit us, and uh, I saw what they were doing, and I thought, boy, this looks like a lot more fun than what I'm doing. So <laughs> I I applied and eventually got into uh, got into Myosha, um, and then there was a big learning curve. Oh, I can imagine. I can imagine. Is it uh, so? You started out meeting these guys and then said, I, I think I'll do that. And then, so what, what is a, a day typically in, in a person who is doing an industrial hygienist? What would that be? Is it a lot of uh, 
visiting factories? How, how does it go about? Like if I was going to shadow you for the day, what would it look like? Most of my days would be going to an industry somewhere. Uh, I was in consultation, so I went out at the request of the facility. Uh, mm -hmm. I was able to talk to them beforehand, determine what their concern was, uh, maybe do some research about that material or that concern, and then uh, go to their facility, uh, do air contaminant or noise monitoring, review ventilation systems to see if they were working as they were supposed to, those types of things. It's mm. kind of like being a risk assessment detective. You, you huh. look for things that can cause risk for the employee. I gotcha, I gotcha. So, I mean, 39 years you were doing this, what were some of the most common things you would run into uh, during that time frame? And I'm sure it's changed, yeah, like, like we talked about earlier, but what yep. was some stuff that, you know, typically you could walk in and say, wow, that, I see this a lot and it really helped people out with it? I would say three things. Uh, first of all, noise exposure. Mm -hmm. The no noise is everywhere in industry. And uh, many, many, many people are overexposed to noise and lose hearing because of that. Number two on the list would be welding fume exposure. Uh, I wrote more citations, more hazards at, for an air contaminant exposure for welding fume than anything else by far. Huh. Wow. And, and then thirdly would be bad ventilation systems. Things that were installed to help protect the employee that really didn't do much or didn't work correctly. I gotcha. I gotcha. So there's something there that's in place, but maybe the design of it or just how it was actually functioning wasn't working to... It just, it just wasn't up to what they intended it to do. Mm, I gotcha. I gotcha. Good intentions, bad design, possibly. Lots of times. Yeah. Yeah. So... In all these times, do you have any, uh, you got any stories about maybe when you ran into something like that, where you were just like, this is not working out at all? Well, one of the ones that really comes to mind is you have to spend your money wisely. Uh, I went into a foundry years ago, and uh, my first day there, they were so proud. They had just put in this new exhaust ventilation system in the core making room, and they they said you know i asked why did you put this in they said well it, it smells really bad in there so we mm -hmm. we spent a few hundred thousand dollars trying to get rid of this bad smell and of course i said well what is that bad smell is it something hazardous is it just a bad smell well we don't we don't really know we don't <laughs> it smells bad people have complained so we spent the money across the door into the other half of the foundry it was a leaded brass foundry their lead exposure was so high they had people off on medical leave it was really hazardous and they had spent hundreds of thousands to get rid of a bad smell and done nothing about the lead oh my i i always have to say spend your money wisely there's only so much in that suitcase to spend they had several employees that were off on medical leave because of high elevated blood leads. 
they it it was very hazardous. Did you just say, hey, why don't we just take this pipe that you put here and put put it over there so that to help with that lead, huh? Yeah, unfortunately, it, it doesn't work that way. It has to be designed specifically. But yeah, what, you should have taken this block of money and spent it in the foundry and not in the yeah. Oven. <laughs> yeah, they should they should have had you in there before they started making these decisions, huh? I I think it would have been a lot better. I certainly would have yeah. said, don't do this. Okay, so let's say there is a setting. Let's say you, you talked a lot about weld exposure. Um, yes. In this setting, it was lead exposure. How, I mean, how do you? How would a person even know that? How would they go about getting a test or, or figuring that out? How do you guys do that? How do you let someone know when their exposure limit is too much or if they're within it? What's the process in helping people determine that? We. Uh... If, if it's noise, we have digital readout uh, equipment that, uh, that takes that noise sample constantly throughout the day, provides mm -hmm. us with a, uh, a, an exposure number at the end of the day. If mm -hmm. we're doing air contaminant monitoring, then we have uh, usually an air sampling pump. We pull air through some type of media that collects the contaminants. Uh, we then send it to a laboratory and they do the analysis and we can say for that period of time, this is how much material was in the breathing zone of the employee. Oh. And, and for instance, like for welding fume, we take that sample right inside the helmet. We put a cassette inside the helmet and we suck air through that cassette and then, then have the cassette analyzed. Oh. So that's, I mean, you can't get any closer than that unless you were going to put it in their nose. Exactly. Yes. We want to be in the breathing zone. The, right. The definition right. of breathing zone is within six inches of your air intake. So it, when you're talking about weld, let's say weld fume exposure, what, yes. I mean, when you, when you would typically see someone that was inside or outside that range, what's that range look like? Is it, how does that measure it? Um, the range of welding fume exposure. Yeah. So if, uh, if you would think if someone was welding for 10 minutes or if they were welding all day, how much would you actually, if I was a welder and I was looking at this and I go, how would I know whether I am exposed too much or if I'm within the acceptable limit? Most, most everyone now is a MIG welder. Most of your welding in industry is is MIG, um, metal inert gas, and uh, it's a wire-fed system. Uh, I would say rule of thumb, if you're production welding and you're welding more than three hours a day and you don't have some sort of ventilation system to collect that fume, you're probably going to be exposed above the Michigan exposure limit. Exposure gotcha. limits are different depending upon where you're located. Uh huh. It, it this gets to be a long story, but Michigan's exposure limit is five milligrams of contaminant per cubic meter of air. Okay. Uh, the feds, it's the federal OSHA states, it's still ten. Okay. It really needs to come down from there, from either place. Uh, 
a couple of years ago, IARC, the International Association for the Research of Cancer, uh, has now called welding fume a carcinogen. Oh, wow. So there's that. There's uh, manganese is in all of welding fume. The mm -hmm. manganese exposure limit for the feds was five. It's going to point, well, ACGIH, American Conference of Governmental Industrial Hygienists, is recommending it, it be limited to 0 0.02. Wow. Wow. So things are getting even less exciting, right? Hopefully with the weld. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, hopefully they will get less exciting, right? Right now yeah. there's, if, if you're a welder, you're overexposed to manganese and probably welding fume in some states if you weld more than three hours a day. Gotcha. So, so the functionality and the having a good system in place to help get that weld fume away from that operator is, is becoming, we're becoming more and more aware how important that is for people's health and safety. We're recognizing now the importance of, of getting away from the, the welding operators. Definitely. So, so if someone's out there, they have a weld shop and they're thinking, man, um, I would love to have someone like Bob come in and look at my operation and tell me where I could, you know, kind of make things better or, sure. or help. How would someone do that? I mean, is this, is this a paid service? Is this a government service from what you used to do? How would someone get in touch with their, you know, dental or not dental hygienist? What am I saying here? Our industrial hygienist that um, is in their area. If they're in a state plan state, if they if they're, um, their OSHA program is ran by the state, all of the state plan states have uh, consultants they can, that come in free of charge. I'm, I'm not uh, in federal states, I'm not aware. I think some of them also have consultation programs that they, first thing I would do is I'd, I'd check the web and uh, see if my state had that availability for free service. If not, there's a variety of paid consultants that will will come out. There, there are many organizations that uh, that have IHs working for them that can come out uh, and and do this monitoring. Gotcha. So now I know a lot of people are would say, why would I ever want to call OSHA into my facility? That's just a scary thing to do. But from what I remember talking about earlier. Kind of what you guys did and what the other side of OSHA does, are, they're a little bit separate. Is that right? The consulting side as comparison to? Compliance and consultation are totally separate. Right. Uh, com compliance does not know where consultation goes or what they do. We, uh, as a consultant, we uh, are requested by the employer to come in. We provide a report to the employer that, that gives them some direction of what they need to do to come into compliance. So mm -hmm. it's a free voluntary chance to come into compliance with standards. There, there is a catch. Uh, consultation does request a gentleman's agreement that they will fix what's broken. If we find something seriously wrong, they need to, they need to fix it. Right. We, or we're required at some point in time to turn it over to compliance. Right, right. Very seldom happens because 
typically the people that have consultation come in are are willing they know that up front and they're willing to fix what's broken right they're coming to you saying we know there is an issue we're trying to find a solution yep. yeah well that's uh that i mean that's such good information um i mean you guys with osha out there trying to you know really help make the workplace a safer uh cleaner environment a healthier environment and uh that's what we're here at imperial that's what we try to do too and uh, we're a little bit on the other side of it just continue to build equipment so it's really great to hear um you know out there in the field that what we're doing can really help you know help somebody go home safer to their families at night um, and that's what we're shooting for here you know, everyone laughs at that uh, that statement. I'm from the government. I'm here to help you. In this case, it's it's really true. Right. It's really true. Yeah. Well, Bob, do you have anything else that might be uh, helpful for anyone out there if if they're listening or if they're thinking about? Man, I don't know if uh, I have any exposure to anything or. Um. It, uh, I, I think it's never a bad idea to have uh, your consultant come in uh, and review your data sheets, re- review your operations, and see uh, if there are things that uh, might be of interest to, to look deeper into. Um, it, again, over time, uh, you kind of get a feel for what can be a problem, and uh, and, and you know, with with that with that length of service comes some knowledge that makes it easier to uh, to tell what might be an issue. Yeah, yeah. Well, Bob, just thanks again for uh, coming on. We really appreciate it, and uh, I just uh, hopefully maybe we'll do something again in the future, and uh, we can cover some other topics. Really appreciate your wealth of knowledge and you being willing to share it with us. Well, you're certainly um, welcome. So, well, hey, everyone who is listening out there, if you want to um, reach out to us more, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and, and now we have a TikTok. So you can watch us on TikTok. So, but uh, once again, thanks for listening and uh, everybody out there, stay healthy and stay safe. Thanks, Donovan. Thanks, Bob. Thanks for listening to the Dusty Jobs Podcast. Breathe better, work safer.